Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. Good morning, church. What an amazing morning it's been so far. I am super excited to be here. I am really excited. Thank you so much, Phil, for the opportunity. And I actually feel like I don't need to preach a sermon today because I feel so encouraged by what has been said. Um, But really, I have a word from the Lord. He's put something on my heart for the last few months now to share with you. And I'm really, really excited to, to be sharing it. This is the first time I've actually spoken here on a Sunday morning. I'm used to just uh, leading the worship on the guitar, but this time the Lord set me up to do something else. I'm, I'm grateful to him and I'm grateful to Phil for the opportunity. And seeing what we're seeing now in the church and hearing what we're hearing, it's incredible, isn't it? It is mind-blowing to think that ordinary people like Rob, Espy, Phil, any, everyone here are being used by God to do the extraordinary things. And you may be surprised that the topic of my sermon today is about worship, because we are a church that worships God so loud that the neighbors complain. Um, they really do complain. We, we really do make a joyful noise on a Sunday, amen? And um, I want to speak to you about worship today, because I believe that worship is the key to the Christian life. It's the key to everything we've heard about today. And I'm blown away that God, in the songs, in the words that have been shared today, has tied so many things together that I want to share with you. And I'm just really, really encouraged by that. And uh, you may know, that it was said at the start, that um, there are four people uh, expecting to have a baby. And me and Hannah are next. Yay! And so, (laughs) praise God. Amen. Hannah is 37 weeks pregnant today, so I might have to cut my message short uh, if the baby decides that today is the day. And for those who don't know me and Hannah, we, we got married here a few years ago and we've been part of this church. And um, I, I just wanted to just tell you a little bit about myself so that you're familiar with me, uh, for those who don't know me. Um, but I found God in my teens in a radical way, and God opened my eyes. He gave me uh, his reality. He opened my eyes to his reality. And if you were to say to me 10 years ago, Sam, you'll be speaking in front of people. You will be ministering uh, in worship. I would have, that was just not on the radar. That was just not something I would ever imagine that I'd ever be doing because I did not grow up in a Christian family. I did not think really about God at all. Uh, I had a preacher Maybe like Rob operates, he came up to me when I was 15 years of age, and me and my friends came to tell us about Jesus. And out of all of the people I was with, I was the one objecting and saying, this is nonsense, I don't want to hear it, and giving him a hard time. And he was the most graceful man I've ever met, because he just, just didn't phase him. Within a year, I'd been, I was reading the Bible for myself, and I went to a worship event where Tim Hughes was leading the worship. Five, six, seven thousand young people and people of all ages worshipping God and the presence of God in that place and that event was so powerful, was just so incredible that I just wanted God. And I said to myself, this is what I want for the rest of my life. I want to be walking with God, serving him and being in his presence, doing his will. Anyone else can say amen to that? Anyone else can say that that's what I want? That is what I want for myself. 
And so really it started a journey for me and God reminded me of times where he'd spoken to me before. He actually spoke to me when I was younger, when I was under the age of 10 and said, Sam, you're my child and I love you. And he told me that in a car ride. And I said to my friends who I was with, God's just spoken to me and he's told me that he loves me. And they said, well, God loves everyone. And I said, no, something's just happened. And it was many years later um, that I would find him and then would follow him and go on this amazing adventure. And what has carried me in these years, what has made me come alive in my heart, is worshipping him. It's the core. It centralizes everything. It just brings everything together again. And it makes sense of the things that we learn about. So please turn with me in your Bibles today to Romans chapter 12. And the title of my message, which has already been shown on the screen, is given to worship, and I'll explain why in a moment. So please turn with me to Romans chapter 12, from verse 1. All right, it says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship your true and proper act of worship do not conform to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind then you'll be able to test and approve what god's will is his good pleasing and perfect will amen what a great passage that is every time i read that i think wow praise god for such uh, an amazing passage and when you read the book of romans the context is it's the letter to the Roman church by Apostle Paul in a time of hardship and persecution, and he's writing to encourage them. And he gives 11 chapters into the theology, into the teaching of the gospel, the things we need to understand right from the start, uh, saying that in the beginning, God created us for himself to be his worshippers, his creation for his own good, and we turn away from him. We turn away from the creator and we look to create things And so was the distance between us and God. But the story goes on in Romans, the book of Romans, or the letter of Romans, you could say, that that was not the end, that God had a plan and through history. And it came to the fulfillment of the ages, which is the coming of Jesus, who is God in the flesh, who died for us. And then um, at the end of Romans chapter 11, Paul writes a doxology, which is basically a worship song. And he says... Uh, For from him and through him are all things. That's how he ends it. We just have that on the screen, please. That's um, chapter 11, verse 36. For from him and through him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. We sing that a lot at our church in our songs. And then he says, therefore, in view of God's mercy, meaning in view of this fact, you know, earlier on, Rob brought up the passage in Colossians, which is very similar to this. And it says, all things are created by him and for him. So that includes you and me. That includes everything that you see and you cannot see was created by him and for him. To him be the glory. Then he says, therefore, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifice. My first point today is that in order to worship and be given to worship, we must respond Worship is ultimately a response to the glory and the mercies of God in view of God's mercy. He's saying in view of everything I've talked about, 
offer your bodies. This is the true and proper act of worship. You know, God is in the business of calling extraordinary, sorry, ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And it's your heart of worship that will carry you. It's your heart of worship. Okay, so now he goes from talking about the theology and the things you need to know. And I've taught you enough now. But listen, the response is, therefore, therefore, in view of God's mercy, offer. This is your true and proper act of worship. This is your spiritual act of worship. This is the only reasonable response you could have to God, is to give your whole self to him. There's a hymn that says this, were the whole realm of nature mine that were an offering far too small love so amazing so divine demands my life my soul my all because it does you know how can you outgive the god who gave his only son for you who poured out his spirit on you and will never forsake you no matter what you do no matter how far you go he is the elastic god you can walk as far as you want that way but you will spring back to him because you know what you can't outgive god you can't give him enough sometimes we think we're too extravagant you know at kings we love to praise god and people say oh you're a little bit fanatic aren't you you king's church like you pentecostals you make so much noise so much racket Why? Because God. Why do you do the things that you do all week long, praying for the sick, going to do his work? Why? Because you love him and you want what he wants for the world. And so, you know, right from the start of the Bible, God, he calls Adam to work in the garden. And the Hebrew word for work is the same word for worship. And so all that we're called to do, everything that God has put in your hand to do, if your heart is right, then it's worship to him. If you're giving it to him and you're saying, God, my job, my life, my, my marriage, my relationship, my children, if it's in his hands and if you are living in his hands, you become a living sacrifice. It's not that you go and die, you know, not like a suicide bomber would or something like that, but you live a sacrificial life. Life goes on in a way that's powerful and God is pleased and it's your true and proper act of worship. Some translations say it's your spiritual act of worship. But they're trying to focus on what Paul was saying in the original writing. You know, when, it, when a preacher says in the Hebrew or in the Greek, it says this, that's because the Bible was not written in English, believe it or not, or Latin. It was written in Greek and Hebrew. And so to go back to those um, words gives us an understanding of what the writer was saying. And really, the, the imagery of this true and spiritual act of worship is to do with the temple. You give a, a sacrifice in the temple, and it's either acceptable or not acceptable. But, but, you know, the Bible tells us that really what is our true act of worship is ourselves. And so in Psalm 52, verse 17... By the way, the Psalms is called the Book of Praises. I don't know if you knew that, but that's what the Psalms means. And it says, My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, God, you will not despise. That's Psalm 52, verse 17. And we, we, um, we sang earlier on, you know, you, you find the contrite and weak heart and you shoulder its burdens and you carry it into the light. Amen. And God's carrying us into his light. Hallelujah. You know, the things that God is doing for us are incredible. And why not just give it all to him? 
You know, even when we give our tithes and our offerings and our time, that is all worship. If your heart and the core is right and the intentions are right. And I believe that the more we give over to God, the weird thing is the more we find back. Can you say amen? Because you can't outgive God. The more you give to him, the more he'll just give back to you. We always think that, oh, yeah, it's sacrifice. Now it's, oh, it's all a terrible doom and gloom life. No, the more you give of your old self, the more life you will find in him. It says in Matthew, I believe the verse will come up at the back. It says, those who try to save their life will lose it, but those who lose their life will find it for my sake. And so when you give yourself away to God and his purposes, you will find your life. You will find what you are always looking for. Um, and, you know, being a worshiper of God will not always make sense. You know, we, we know the story of Abraham, where God calls Abraham to be the father of many nations and miraculously gives him a son. And at some point in Isaac's life, he could have been about 30 years old at this point, in uh, Genesis chapter 22, it says, Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham. And, he, and Abraham said, Here I am. So immediately, response. And then God said, Take your son, your only son, who you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain. I will show you. And so Abraham, he just understands what it means to be a worshiper because immediately, Immediately the next morning, he gets up and he takes Isaac. And for three days, they walk from where they are to this region called Moriah. And so picture this. Abraham is an old man, really old man. And he takes his son who could have been 30 years old. And this son is going to be the promised son from which the nation of Israel will come. Ultimately, where the bloodline of Jesus would come from and salvation would touch the ends of the earth. Because God said to Abraham, from your seed, I will bless all the families of the earth. And right now, the blessing of Abraham has come to you because you are in Christ and you are in his bloodline. And he says to him, take that son and kill him. I mean, what would you think? What is it in your life that God said, you know, that thing that's like the most valuable thing to you? Yeah, I just want you to, I want you to just sacrifice that tomorrow. Who could do that? But Abraham does it straight away. It doesn't make sense to him. He doesn't know why would God ask me to do this, but he goes and does it anyway. And for three days, they walk in silence to this mountain region. You know, we sometimes ask ourselves, okay, what is worship? Is worship just singing on a Sunday? Is worship five songs? And then we've got our little booster and we go to the end of the next week and we can have a little booster again. No, Sacri- uh, worship can often mean obedience to him. And this was um, Abraham's act of worship. So he goes and he takes his son, the promised son, Isaac, and he lays him on this rack of wood or whatever it was, binds his hands and his feet so that he cannot escape. And Isaac's crying out, Father, what are you doing? What are you doing? And it doesn't make sense to either one of them. And at the moment where Abraham takes the dagger and he's going to lay it into his son Isaac, an angel of the Lord appears in heaven and says, Stop, I now see that you fear God. Do not lay a hand on your son and lets him go. And 
they look and there's a ram caught in the thicket. And praise God that you know, he was never going to let Isaac die. That was not the plan. The, the plan was to test Abraham. And Abraham immediately responds. How many of us, when God asks us to do something, do we respond immediately? Do we just, oh, we'll just wait until the situation or the time's right? No, you have to respond immediately and you'll receive the blessing. And I want to just actually focus on this story a little bit more because there's something going on in this story prophetically that you might not have seen before because Abraham takes his son who could have been a 30-year-old man and he's lying on his back with his arms stretched out tied and bound, saying, essentially, Father, why have you forsaken me? And then at the point where he's about to be pierced, he is saved, and there is a ram caught on the thickets. Quite literally, a ram with a crown of thorns. Can you not see the imagery? Three days of silence, and then his son, the promised son, is essentially rescued and raised to life. And there is a ram called uh, was a ram in the bush and they call the mountain region in this place the Lord will provide and it says at the end of chapter 22 it says, it says to this day that place is called the Lord will provide that mountain region Moriah is the same mountain region where nearly 3,000 years later that God would give his only son on a piece of wood with his hands outstretched, shouting, Father, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus had a crown of thorns around his head. It's incredible, isn't it? That that region, I don't think Abraham had been there before. It says, I'll take you to the place where I will show you. So I don't think he'd actually seen it before. But that is the same mountain region, probably the same hill where Jesus Christ would be sacrificed. What a God we serve who, who plans these things and, and gave himself for us so willingly so really the only the only response to him is just extravagantly worship him and to know him and to respond to his call on our life you know there's a woman in Matthew chapter 7 her name is Mary Magdalene and Jesus is having uh, a religious dinner party if you like and uh, this lady called Mary rudely interrupts the meeting and she comes in with an alabaster jar and she pours it all over his feet. And she, she, with her tears and with her hair, she washes his feet. And the people in the room saying, they get uncomfortable with it. Judas gets uncomfortable. You know, what's this? Don't let this woman do this. This is awkward. This is not right. Do you not know she's a sinner? This is the same woman that Jesus had exercised of demons. This is the same woman that, that, that Jesus had given hope to out of a hopeless life. It said she'd lived a sinful lifestyle. It doesn't tell us what it was. We can only guess. But he saved her. And now this woman comes in and she doesn't know what to do. She just brings this priceless jar of alabaster, which could have been worth her whole life's wages. And she just pours it all over him. And she cleans his feet with her hair and her tears. And Jesus commends her. And he says, wherever the gospel will be preached, the story will be told. I'm telling it right now. It's, it's just incredible. Jesus commends this. And the writers of the New Testament, they included this because they're saying, this is what it's about. This is the type of worship I'm talking about. This is laying yourself as a living sacrifice to him. But you know what? Once you've responded to God and once you have given it all to him, okay, step one. You're in, and you are now responding to him. 
But to continue in the walk, you must have your mind renewed. You must now start to think differently about God. You must continue to, to okay, shape what you think about yourself, about God, about people, because that will carry you on. You know, you're in, yes. You know, Jesus cast out seven demons from Mary Magdalene, it says. And sometimes we uh, can spend too much time exercising the, the mind and, and renewing the demons, you could say. Not the other way around. You know, it says in, in Romans 12, in the next verse, it says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. There's a battle for us to conform. There's a battle for us to not be extravagant for God and to just just give what I can. Just give a little bit. You know, give Sunday. I'll give some five songs. I'll sing two of them. I'll come in late. Um, yeah, that'll be fine. I'll leave. I'll leave very quickly at the end. Uh, that'll be my act of worship. No, it's a life of worship. It's your life song of worship. You know, the neighbors say you're too loud, but your life is even louder than the songs here. Did you know that? It should be your life song of worship. And it is itself prophetic because it's speaking about God. Is your life song of worship speaking loudly about God? Or are you too busy gossiping? Are you too busy complaining? Are you too busy conforming to the ways of the world? rather than being transformed. Wow, which one is it? You know, I've been caught a few times speaking in tongues <laughs> by people, unsuspecting victims, who, who may be like at work or something at a spare room or on my bicycle, which is um, what I used to do a lot. I used to cycle and just, just praise him and worship him and then someone would find me and there'd be a little moment of awkwardness, but that's fine. Praise God. It's better to be caught worshipping God than gossiping about someone, isn't it? I'd rather be caught doing the former than the latter. You know, it's fine to just give it to Jesus. And, and um, you know, when it comes to worship, I just want to just explain this. That maybe it might be a, compo- a confusion sometimes. But we worship God in Trinity. And we worship the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that the Father is God, that the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. And we worship all three persons. And so, like with Mary, when she's, um, you know, she's extravagantly pouring her love on Jesus, then she's pouring her love on God. And today, when we say we lift up the name of Jesus, we are lifting up the name of God. We worship God in Trinity. We worship the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we worship God in spirit and truth because God is spirit and by his spirit he helps us worship him he helps focus us so when you see when it says pray in the spirit at all times it is that is what helps you to worship him because God empowers you to love God because God ultimately loves God does that make sense so the father loves the son the son loves the holy spirit and they have been eternal forever, and they've included you in their community now. And so by the power of the Holy Spirit, he's led you to the Son, and the Son's opened your eyes to the Father, and now you're in their family. Can you see? It's just incredible. And this is what happens when you get into the Word. Your mind is renewed, and you're like, wow, I have been included in to this covenant this family i am god's child i'm a disciple of jesus you know and you can come alive in him and find yourself in him 
You know, once you've given yourself to him, when I gave my life to Jesus at 16, I didn't know anything. I didn't know anything really about God. Honestly, it was embarrassing how little I know about God. Um, but I responded to him anyway because of his grace, you know, because of the mercies of God. His kindness leads us to repentance. And I could see that God is kind and good. And I wanted him. Okay. So now that I'm following him and worshiping him, the stuff that's going to come out of my mouth and come out of my life has to be in line with God and what he says. Because I can't just say I love God and then just talk nonsense all the time and just do anything I want. No. The word of God will now lead me into a life of fullness. Amen. And it will help you not be conformed to the ways of the world. Because the world wants you to be conformed. To just be, just be normal. Just be a normal Christian. Don't say anything offensive. Don't do anything daring. Just chill out. You know. No. You have to come alive and be transformed. The word for transformation here is the same word for metamorphosis. Yeah? So anyone ever seen a a butterfly come out of its cocoon. That butterfly went through a process that's common in nature called metamorphosis. And the, like, the caterpillar, the hungry caterpillar, was not born to be a caterpillar, was it? It was born to be a butterfly. But it went through a process of um, getting into a cocoon. It just knew at some point in its life that now's the time to wrap myself in a cocoon. And it's like a picture of us, isn't it? Being still before him sacrifice and then we emerge from that place and we take off and we fly and we become something else we become something that's like wow and people can see it and they're like i want that as well and you know the hungry caterpillar is the number one selling children's book everyone had it and it's great and you know it's a it's a it's really the best i think it's the number one discipleship book because actually it's actually the but it's it's the message of what we should do as christians we must be transformed by the renewal of our mind and take off and fly it says in um 1 john chapter 2 it says do not love the world or anything in the world if anyone loves the world love for the father is not in them for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Amen. And so we're told, actually, that in this passage, that when we're conforming to the ways of the world, these three areas, you know, the, the pride of life, look at me, look at how amazing I am, look at what I've got, my stuff, the lust of the, of the eyes, and... All of these things, when we are conforming ourselves to this and we're going in line with this, we're actually told that we're no longer worshipping God. It says that the love of the Father is not in us. That does not mean that God does not love you anymore because he will love you forever, no matter what. He really will. He'll pursue you to the day you die, no matter who you are on the face of the planet. But we're told that we're not worshipping God. And so we must transform our minds through the word, through spending time in his word, through spending time in worship, in prayer, and to be transformed. You know, seeing Rob get up today and speak, Rob, you don't like, you naturally wouldn't like speaking in front of people, would you? You wouldn't like me putting you on the spot right now, but I'm doing it anyway. And, 
You see, what God has done in Rob's life and Espy's life and the lives of many here, he's transformed you. He's, tra- he's changed you into something else. You know, you were always, there was always a plan and design for your life. But you're the one who conformed to the ways of the world and diminished that image of God. You rubbished that and you said, I don't want that. And God saved you and he saved you into a life of worshipping him. You know, babies, when they're born, their minds are rapidly transforming. I've been going to a few NHS classes recently. They're interesting. (laughs) They are. And... You know, you learn how a baby's born and their mind rapidly transforms and changes. You know, a baby isn't born to be a baby, is it? A baby's born to be a full-grown adult. But when we are born again into God's family, we must mature. We must take the food that we need to grow. God wants mature sons. God wants mature daughters. And because of that, you will change and metamorphosize. You'll become someone like Rob, who doesn't mind going to the airport and just praying for anyone and anything. Rob doesn't, Rob's like, my plane's delayed. Yay! This is great. All these people here, the unsuspected victims. You know, that's kind, of, that's kind of how you've got to get to. You know, most people would say, oh, this is terrible. The devil is on my case. The devil is stopping me. And Rob's like, yay, people, healing, 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 right? What takes you to get to that point? The word. The word says, lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Amen? And you've just, that's the word of God. The word of God trumps your experience. If you haven't seen healing yet for the sick, the word of God still trumps your experience. In my, the last 12 months, um, you know, I used to, when I got saved, I used to pray for a lot for healing for people and stuff. And I never really saw a lot. I always saw it through someone else's prayer. But in the last 12 months, and this is not to glorify me at all, because I can't do anything, but in the last 12 months, I've seen God through my own hand heal many people, many people in weird situations where I didn't maybe think they were going to get healed. Like my job is um, to go to host families uh, for the language school that I work at, and to recruit families to look after our students. I really like my job. And so you can imagine that sometimes I'm in houses with people who are sick. I was in a house with a woman a few months ago, and she had arthritic hands, and her hands are all swollen up. She said, I can't clean the kids' room. I can't clean the students' room, I should say. And I thought, you know, didn't feel any tingling, didn't feel any Holy Spirit now, power. I didn't have anything. I just had this sense that, okay, well, God heals. Jesus is the healer. Because the work, because I've been transformed, I've stayed in the Bible and gone, yes, this is what it says. This is normal Christianity. So I prayed for her, and the swelling in her hand goes, hallelujah. And, you know, and she was like, well, I can feel this. I can feel something happening. And I was sharing at the Bible college that I went to when I, when I, um, Finished my sixth form, I went to Bible college for three years, Regent Theological College, is where I met Hannah. We had a great time, and then that was actually three years ago now. I can't believe how quick that's gone. But um, I went back to that Bible college for the first time in three years, just a few weeks ago, and I started talking about the healings here and what God's doing. I, st- I told the story of your uncle, Phil. It is mind-blowing, isn't it, to think that Phil's uncle, is it, what's your uncle's name? Uncle John, all right. Uncle John. He, he was actually, his, his, 
It makes me sound like I'm laughing at his problem. I'm just, I'm, I'm happy because what happened next, all right? Just give me some grace. So he, so his legs were actually bowed out and were not straight. They were different legs. We prayed for him. His legs were different lengths, crooked, back problems, everything. And over a period of an hour, one Sunday afternoon, when everyone had gone home, God supernaturally grew and strengthened and lengthened his legs, hallelujah, significantly. I mean, he wasn't 100% healed. He was like 70% of the way there or something like that. But wow, seeing his one leg grow out and the other leg grow out and went from being crooked to straight, supernatural. Thank, thank you, God, that you do these things. I'm amazed that I'm seeing this. And he came back a few months later and he had prayer again. And we just said, because the legs at this point were still not right were they he'd been walking on it it wasn't fully healed so he'd been walking on it and everything gone disaligned again and we pray that in the name of jesus we command this leg to grow out and it just shot right out like that literally that far supernaturally and i tell you what my response was wow wow i was jumping around wasn't i embarrassed myself a bit how how excited i was to see this you know and this you know if phil and if the people in this room hadn't stayed in the word, hadn't stayed worshipping God and in his presence, then these things wouldn't happen, would they? They wouldn't happen because how can they happen if you don't believe these things? If you don't respond to him and have your mind transformed? Which brings me to my third and final point, which is that once we've, had, once we've given ourselves in worship, once we start to renew our mind, now we must go and do these things. We must realign ourselves with God. Has anyone ever struggled with the will of God for their life? Everyone's just like nodded at me. Like, of course you do, because what is the will of God? I don't know what God's will is for my life. I'll tell you right now, I'm prophesying to you right now. The will of God for your life is to do the work of the kingdom. Some of you are like, no, that's just... That's too straightforward. That's just too easy. I've got to pray about that. No, you don't. It's in the Word. He says, go and do these things. I don't know what the will of God for my life is fully. I just trust him each step of the way. I actually asked God once. I felt so confused at one point. Like, what's your will for my life? I don't know what the will of God for my life is. People have said, you're going to do this. The prophesied you're going to do that. Lord, in my time with you, you said, I'm going to do this. And God actually spoke to me really clearly. He said, Sam, the will of God for your life is iridescent. Now, half of you, I think 98% of you just went, I don't know what that word means. Some of you just got that and you're like, wow, that's a light bulb moment. I had to actually look at it myself because it's a word I didn't know. It mean, it's, a, it's a feature of certain things in nature, like certain shells, rainbows, that if you look at it from a different angle... The colors and the way you see the colors and the vibrancy of the thing is different. And so God's will for your life is ornate, it's unique, it's tailor-made. Amen? It's tailored together by him in a certain way that's unique to you. But you have to say yes to that. You can say no, you can say yes. And as you start to see that the will of God for your life is to do the work of the kingdom, then things will realign. Things will make sense again. I just lost you all that. I'm going to say it again. Once you realign yourself with the will of God, things make sense. What did you say today, Rob? The, uh, if you seek first the kingdom, then all these things will be added. But we spend 98% of our energy and our time focusing on all these things. Well, actually, we just need to realign ourselves with the will of God, do the kingdom work, 
and and we will find it. In fact, it says it in the passage. I forgot to read it out. I'm sorry. It says, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So, live in sacrifice, be transformed, then you will be able to test and approve God's perfect will. If we just have that verse upon the screen. How do you know what the perfect will of God is? You only know it when you're a worshipper and when you are in the word. Then you step into the will of God naturally. Yeah? You don't have to just try and figure it out and wait for this special day, this special anointing to come on you to go and do things. You can see it yourselves in James um, verse 1, verse 20, sorry, chapter 1, verse 22. It says this, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. How many of us, oh yeah, we'll just come on Sunday, we'll have another message, another message, another message, another message, and do nothing with it. What's the point? Why? There's a pastor I heard of in uh, South America, and he actually preaches the same message to his congregation every week until they do that thing that he's asking them to do. Imagine if Phil did that, or I did that or someone. Just the same message every week until you do it. You must be generous. Next, They didn't get it. Next week, you must be generous. You know, can you imagine? You just do it because you just wanted them to stop. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 2, it says, In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent, the kingdom of God has come near. This is what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, Make the way for the Lord. Make, stra- make straight paths for him. Yeah? Can you see the pattern of what, what you see in Romans 12 here as well? Give yourselves to him. Repent, which means change your mind. Think again. And now make straight paths for him. Many of us need to make straight paths for the Lord in our lives. What is it that God's saying to you? That's out of line. That's out of sync. You need to shape it up. What is it that, you know, what is it he needs to show you? It could be little things, but, you know, every day I believe we should get a little bit close to God, a little bit close to that calling and that thing he's called us to. What, what paths does the church as a whole, the church across the world, the church in the United Kingdom, church in Cambridge, this church, what do we need to get into line with? And Paul, after this passage, he goes straight into five chapters, sorry, uh, four chapters, of explaining how to put into practice. He says, look, here's the 11 chapters of theology. Here's the crossover point of worship. And now this is how you put it into practice. So please look at that in your own time. And, and really it's all about just kind of dying to yourself and rising again. And you will be in situations, if you're worship of God, that are uncomfortable. I'm bringing this to a close now, just to give you hope. Um, but there's a, you know, it's, it's amazing that even when things get bad, and even when things don't make sense, you know, there's a time where Paul and Silas are in jail for exercising a demon, Acts chapter 16, verse 25. And it says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. And elsewhere, Jesus says, let your light, let your light shine before men. So that others may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Your life song of worship should be prophetic and it should be pointing others to him. 
you know, do I need to tell King's Church to worship God? On a Sunday, no, we've got that, we've got that good. But in our everyday lives, what's it going to mean? What are you going to need to realign? What's going to need to straighten up? Can you be, if you're in prison, beaten half to death, sat in a dark room with shackles on your feet, would you be worshipping God or would you be cursing the darkness? You have to ask yourself these questions. You have to put yourself in that situation and go, yeah, because it could happen to us. If we're going to be evangelistic for God and go to places in the world where it's not so free, Right now we have a sense of freedom. We can just go to the streets and do these things. But what if you don't? Will you be in a jail cell complaining? Or will you be worshipping and others listening to your life song and hearing you? Places like right now, Iran, North Korea, China to still some extent, Nigeria. Many places our brothers and sisters are being slaughtered. They're having horrendous things done to them and their families. And what will carry them? What will be their light and their, their hope is that they worship God. And no matter what, he is worthy of it all. He is worthy of it all. Come on. You know, it says, from him are all things, to, to him and from him are all things. Colossians, it says, all things are made by him. So your life and who you are was made by God, for God, and so belongs to God. And it isn't about your, your talent, it isn't about your resource, it isn't about you know, who you think you are. But it is about that heart of worship that will emanate and grow and start to shine as a light to others who do not see the God we serve yet. Amen? Wow. So I'm bringing this to a close now. In fact, I've finished. Um, but really... We're not going to have a time of prayer and living, laying hands on people now. But as the team come up in just a moment, we are going to just have some time worshipping him and focusing on him and just meditating and saying, God, what, what do you want me to realize? What do you want me to do? What, what is it that I need to do as my next step? Some of us might find it hard to just lift our hands in worship sometimes. Some of us might um, think that that's extreme and that's extravagant, but... What is, your next, what is your next step? I'm not expecting you to come dancing down the aisles, right? Maybe one day. Yeah, why not? Someone just <laughs> but what is your next step of worship and getting close to God? What is your true and spiritual act of worship right now that, that will carry you? We need to be less Sunday-centric, I believe, and a little bit more glory-centric because... God's glory rests on us. He rests on our lives. And we're not just waiting for this perfect conference, this perfect worship service, this perfect time. You know, like the team here and myself put so much effort into choosing the right songs. Okay. And it, sometimes it's amazing. Well, most of the time it's amazing, but other times it's not. But it doesn't matter because it's, it's that heart of worship. I'm coming back to the heart of worship. It's all about you, Jesus. It is all about you. It's not about me or the thing I've made it. Come on. Jesus is knocking on the door of our lives. There's a, there's a joke that I forgot to tell. I'll tell it now because I think it's great. He's, there's a pastor who, who he came to a church and he started to pastor this church. 
and uh, he went to his, his congregation, and one day he got there, and someone wasn't in. Uh, well, at least they didn't answer the door. So he knocked, and he knocked, and it was clear someone was home, but no one was coming to the door. And after he'd knocked several times, he took out his card, and he wrote Revelation 3.20, stuck it on the back of the door, and said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him, will dine with him, and he with me. Later in the week, he was counting the offering, and he found his card in the collection plate, and below was written on the message, Genesis 3.10. And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and so hid myself. (laughs) God's calling us. God's saying, hey, Adam, where are you? You know, he's saying to you right now, where are you? Where are you really? Where are you? You know, did God not know what Adam had done? He knew. Of course he knew. He's God. But he's saying, where are you? As in, where are you right now? Where do you need to be? Where should you be? And so come back to that place. So that's what we're going to do now. So please stand to your feet today as we worship God and just step into his presence. Once again, he's always with us. We don't just move into a time of worship. We should always be worshiping and have some songs sometimes to help us. There's a great quote by Ruth Ward Heflin. She's a worship leader. She says, we praise until the spirit of worship comes. We worship until the glory comes, and then we stand in the glory. Let's stand in this glory today and worship him. Amen. Thank you for listening, and we trust that the word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church, or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.